0: Welcome back to the podcast. Today is an amazing day because we're going to talk about a topic that is probably the most important topic I've ever had on this podcast um, with an old friend, Kiara Varus We're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts, which is intersectional feminism. Um, if you don't know what that is, you're about to learn and it will probably change your life Um, but before we jump into it I want to introduce Kiara and have her tell us a little bit about herself. Hey Angel my old
1: high school friend Ah! oh my gosh! um yeah so I live in the Boston area um I grew up you know here my whole life I've known Angel since we were 14 oh my (laughs) gosh! back in our back in our Catholic high school days um And, you know, I did the typical millennial path. I went to high school, did college. I have an econ background. Um, I work for the nonprofit world now, and I love it. I never would have thought I'd be a nonprofit, but- Here I am. Yes. Um, Well, because, you know, you always have the stereotype of like nonprofits for like rich kids who like their parents can pay for everything because nonprofits don't pay. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely not the case. You know, nonprofits, they vary just like for profit. companies. So I do that. I love to read. I love to write. I'm kind of nerdy. I'm a black woman. I'm a queer woman. Yeah. And I'm happy to be here with my lovely old friend.
0: I know I'm so excited because I know a while back you had messaged me on the podcast Instagram talking about how you wanted to discuss this topic and I mean if there was a better time in life it is now because I mean we should have been talking about it forever since then but like the the topic of inclusion and feminism and what that all means together for each and every one of us is just like such a huge topic, and I wish you guys could all see my T-shirt right now because I did wear a girl power T-shirt just for this.
1: She did. She looks lovely. Thank Are you. you? <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Um, so I don't know about you. I won't speak for you, but I absolutely identify as a feminist, which seems like almost a trite term at this point because it's it like is. it is also like like at its core something that is just a big part of a lot of women's lives and I mean even something that I got like made fun of for calling myself at some point so I'm really glad we're having this conversation so we can like break down what this all means.
1: Who made fun of you? I'm curious like what was that experience like and what happened?
0: Awkwardly enough it was a partner of mine and his family like our values just clearly did not align at its core. So they were very conservative, and they believed like feminism meant like you hate uh, men. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was trying to say. And I was like, I'm sorry, I think we're not on the same page here because <laughs> that is not yeah. what that means. I think I know
1: what X you're referring to because uh, I probably did your high school
0: days. So, and I
1: remember. So Angel and I, a little backstory, we went to a Catholic high school, which was very conservative. Um, you know, there was like a ton of Republicans and I'm not trying to be, you know, polarizing here, but there was like a ton of mm-hmm. just conservative ideology. And I think, you know, I had a similar encounter um, my junior year. I said I was a feminist and someone told me I was too attractive to be a feminist. <gasps> as it's what? like, feminism has to do with how you look because I'm. <gasps> very, you know, femme. I love makeup. I love hair and like fashion. So they're like feminists usually aren't into that stuff. Aren't you
0: supposed to have hairy legs and no bra and like dirt on your exactly? Like I love, like I go waxing. Like I, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: like I just love being very girly and people just don't associate that with feminism, which is like, such a false, erroneous belief, mm-hmm. and it needs to go away.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing
1: wrong with if you don't want to wear a bra and have hairy legs, we're not, you know. Oh, absolutely, if that's, yeah. If like, you want to do, you do it, and we will encourage you, but, you know, feminism isn't a box. Same. But I was an AP government, so it's Oh, same.
0: true, okay.
1: To, yeah, so I was, like, one of two liberal students in the classroom, mm-hmm. and, like, it was intimidating, and I'm a Black woman, having these experiences and talking about this and I would get pushback from white male students and it's like, what am I going to do? You know? And it was just like, now I'm a little older, you know, we're 25, a little wiser. Um, but even it's still intimidating to Mm -hmm. have conversations and to, because they're not comfortable conversations right these topics aren't comfortable so to have them at a young age when you're 16 17 18 what have you it's even more intimidating
0: absolutely yeah no that's such a good point too i would hope that we could all have this conversation these days but i guess you never know but it's like so important to have these uncomfortable conversations and really expand your mind which is exactly why we are here to talk today about intersectional feminism because i mean Feminism is nothing without that, really. Absolutely. So for people who might not know, and to I mean clarify my own definition of intersectional sectional feminism and what that means for people, I would love to get your insight and knowledge on that topic. So,
1: traditionally feminism, especially mainstream feminism has focused on white middle-class straight women right? Mm-hmm. That's what's been perpetuated in the media. When in reality, feminism to its core is equality for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Whether you are white, black, um, able-bodied, uh, trans, you know, you're from a lower economic status, right? All these groups have to be included. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, because feminism was essentially usurped by the most privileged of the group, Intersectional feminism was a response to that in 1989. And we have to give credit what credit's due, right? Kimberley Crenshaw uh, pretty much came up with it. And she's a black woman, she was talking about, yes, as women, we all deal with gender oppression. We live in a patriarchal system. It exists, whether you're white, whether you're black, what have you, if you're a woman, you're going to deal with gender discrimination. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No one's questioning that. But what a woman of color might go through, not just dealing with, you know, gender issues, but how about white supremacy and racism? Mm-hmm. How do we address these issues? How do queer women, how do they come in? How do, you know, trans women, how do they play a part? What about poor women? Um, what about women who are raped and assaulted? Like, where are their voices? Because their voices clearly aren't being heard, and that's where interse- intersectional feminism comes into play.
0: It's just so powerful. And and Kiara and I were talking right before I pressed record. Like, we are not experts, and I'm certainly not an expert. Um, and we might say things we have to learn from and especially myself so I'm happy that we can have such an open dialogue because like to digest all of that is like wow you know as a white woman even in today's society like you're not taught intersectional feminism and you're not taught like no, that you're not being inclusive by just saying you're a feminist. Right. And
1: it didn't start off that way, right? Mm. It's feminism to its core is about equality, like I said, for everyone. Mm-hmm. But... The most privileged of the group, which is, you know, white, middle class, straight women, able-bodied women, too, um, who are cisgendered, they get the most attention because they have the most privilege. We have a tendency in American society and just Western society to work from the top down, Mm -hmm. from the bottom up. And intersectional feminism is working from the bottom up because if people at the bottom are covered, everybody gets covered by definition, mm-hmm. right? But if you keep power solely at the top, you forget about everyone else because if the elites are handled or the people with the most privilege are handled, they're not going to really have much incentive to help those beneath them because privilege is privilege is a blinder
0: mm-hmm.
1: by definition. It's a, when we... the most part, all have privilege, right? Like Angel and I are educated women. We're able-bodied women. We are cisgendered women. So those are blinders. Like we might not understand a trans woman. How do we include her in these conversations, right? We will never experience what a trans woman, you know, will go through, but having them at the table, having, you know, women who might not have access to education, that's a privilege. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely working from the bottom up. That's the main focus in intersectional feminism.
0: And how do you think, I know you touched on it for a second too. And I mean, I'm just curious myself on how we think we're able to continuously expand this definition and really give people a seat at the table. Like how, <laughs> I guess that's like, a societal question, but like, how it can we expand yeah. this?
1: <laughs> I think it goes back to if you are from that privileged group, really fighting to include those women because you have the privilege, so you have the backing and the power to include those women and men, right? Because feminism touches men as well. Um, so if you are part of this privileged group, if you have white privilege having a woman of color, let's say you're a CEO, right? You're a white female CEO, which we have a ton of those, right? Mm -hmm. Not as much, but as men, as white men, but they're there. How diverse is your staff? Mm -hmm. You know, how are you getting interns from different backgrounds? Like, how are you actively trying to be inclusive, you know, with your privilege? Like, how Mm -hmm. are you using that? How are you really bringing those women in those women and men um and it's through educating yourself being a good ally i you know with this black lives matter movement that we've been seeing these past few weeks we've seen a lot of white folks on the front lines of these protests and like shielding um, people of color at these protests from police that's a pure example of allyship it's really being a co-conspirator, really being an ally and recognizing like, yeah, I have this privilege. How am I going to use it to benefit those who don't have the same privilege that I have? How can I, you know, raise them up with me?
0: You are literally so insightful. I get lost in (laughs) your words. (laughs) I'm just hoping it all makes sense. No, it makes total sense. It really does. And it it's just funny that it seems such second nature, but in reality, it's not. I think the key word that you said is like active. Like you have to be actively inclusive and actively trying to raise the voices of other people because unfortunately, it's not an automatic response or it's not an automatic situation that people can react to so fast. Like we have to put in the work right now to be able to start including everybody into the conversation.
1: Absolutely. And another quick point I wanna you know touch on is Usually women of color, um, whether it's a black woman, a Latinx person, Asian American person, usually if we have a position of power, right? If we are the CEO, if we are the writer of a TV show, if you look at our boards, if you look at our staff, they're probably the most diverse staffs because innately we know as people of color, wow, we got this, we have this opportunity. We have to share it because we're so stripped, And we know how hard it is to get your foot in the door. So as white women who have that privilege, start training your brain to think that way. And it's hard because again, privilege is a blinder. It's not something that is learned overnight. These systems weren't created overnight. So really doing the work.
0: Yeah. And that's funny. Um, That makes like, total and complete sense and it it reminded me of something that has been prevalent in like the most prevalent in all of this that's been going on in the news is like the all lives matter versus black lives matter can we swear on here yeah oh absolutely yeah that's complete bullshit like
1: yeah yelling oh we know all lives matter that's like if you don't know that then you have a problem and that's something you should discuss But all lives cannot matter if black lives don't. Like Mm -hmm. that is how, I mean, if someone who's dealing with a disability, if their life doesn't matter, a queer person in mainstream society, their life might not matter. A trans person who we see trans women get killed all the time, right? Um, Black women who are shot, like if their lives don't matter then all lives can't so that whole concept is just absolutely wild to me um if you I just I can't compute that like no
0: absolutely (laughs) it's just
1: were you one of those types that like if anyone said that deleted them on Facebook or like oh my god I
0: thankfully have not had to delete anybody yet me too me too. <laughs> which I mean, maybe says something about the people we surround ourselves with, Absolutely. which I'm very thankful for. Self preservation.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Self
0: preservation. <laughs> and I remember my mom and I had a conversation where she was like, I mean, even a little bit before this movement started like building back up again, because it's obviously always been prevalent, but since 2013. Black exactly, exactly. Yeah. Since forever, it should be yeah. in the back of our minds. Yeah. Um, but my mom was saying, like, wow, I thought like I was being a quote unquote good person by not seeing race. I'm still doing quotes. She's like, I thought that like made, like I would, that was just how I was supposed to go through life. And now she has learned, which I'm thankful for people of an older generation to expand their minds on this, but she's learned that no, that's not the way to go.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we've been taught to not discuss race because it's the dirty American secret, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it literally in history class, it's like, okay, the Europeans came over, the British came over, they did, you know, manifest destiny or whatever. And there was slavery and then the slaves got free and then we're all happy. It's like, that's not, you. Ha- that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're taught because the people who write these books are the same people who have these privileges, right? They're usually white men. They're usually straight. Um, again, they don't really have much diversity in their companies. there we go <laughs> in their companies. Um, so they write it you know, on that perspective, and mm-hmm. it's a false narrative, and it needs to end. But we've been taught that like, yeah, I don't see color, and that's the polite thing to to say, but in reality it's it's not. And kudos to your mom for you know learning and growing. and this is a time you know, when we go to Black Lives Matter, black lives have always mattered. Mm-hmm. It was founded in 2013 um, by three queer Black women. There's no, you know, it wasn't just by happenstance. This was a response to Black folks getting killed. And these three women were like, you know, we need to do something about that. Um, A little book plug, I read Patrice Cooler's. Uh, autobiography she's one of the founding members of black lives matter great read if you ever want to learn about what really led her into activism um so if you can put that i don't know in like your show notes or something that you might have Mm -hmm. Um, it's a great read i have it and it's really eye-opening but you know a lot of white folks finally are waking up to this concept and it's because of covid like let's just put it out there really was because of COVID. Everyone's home. Everyone has a lot of time on their hands. This is not anything new to Black folks, right? Mm-hmm. Black and brown bodies have always been under attack since colonization. So this is not anything new. We've always had to be aware because we live it every single day walking down the street versus white folks now, they're under quarantine. And Derek Chauvin who killed you know, George Floyd, rest in peace, was the perfect villain like I think white people are were really disgusted with themselves for the first time in Mm -hmm. a long time it was really a oh my gosh this is actually
0: happening um so it's awful that it had to take a a video of a man dying this way when it has been happening for so long for people to really digest it
1: absolutely and I think it's you know it With the younger generations, you know, we're younger millennials, you and I, and then have Gen Zers. They're really out here. We're on social media. Things get, it's that instant access to information. And with combination of COVID, like we all have a common interest here to do better because- there's a sense of community now because of this virus. It's forced people to really be at home, think, be kinder to one another. For the most part, obviously there are weird people out there, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, people are genuinely concerned for one another and wishing the best for humanity and wanting to get through this. So to see a video like that was just really like, for a lot of folks, just like, they were just disgusted. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean... I was going to go down this rabbit hole of everything I've ever heard like family members say like, but he was a criminal. And I'm like, everyone in our fucking family's a criminal. Like, does that mean that they're going (laughs) to die?
1: And cops aren't supposed to kill the guilty either. Like it's not something, you know, by design, the police force was designed to catch slaves. Mm -hmm. That's another dirty American secret that people don't, didn't know, or, you know, are just realizing. Have you seen
0: the 13th documentary?
1: I have. So I saw that when it first came out. Shout out to Ava DuVernay. She's a black woman out here and she's an intersectional feminist, you know, and these, this is why intersectional feminism is so, once you learn about it, you start to see the world so differently, right? Because if she wasn't a, a black woman dealing with these issues of race and gender, she probably wouldn't have cared too much to do this documentary, mm-hmm. and not to say that white people haven't done great documentaries about race and gender and class. Absolutely, they have. I can't name any right now, but they're <laughs> out there, folks. But even white fragility, right? That yeah. book that was written by a white woman, but that's because she was in a very POC. POC is an acronym people for people of color. Um, a lot of I don't know if
0: some people know that. That's yeah, just- good to mention.
1: Yeah, it's an acronym for people of color, but she wrote that book because she was in a predominantly POC space, so it gave her that different perspective, and again, she used her privilege as a white woman to make this book for other white people, you know what I mean? She's a white person, never had to deal with racism, and she made this book and she used her privilege, and that goes back to what can you do? I'm not saying write a book, but- (laughs) You know, and definitely you, definitely engage with folks who don't look like you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And do you think because I've seen that now, obviously, the book has blown up in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, is New York Times bestseller. Should I read it or is it I don't even know the word. Like, is it's there something read. better? Okay. Okay. It's
1: a great read. It's a great read. Um, I haven't read it, but I've had my other black female friends read it and They say it's a great read. Um, These are women who I take their word for it. It's a great read. I actually watched a video with the author talking about why she wrote this book. And again, it's really aimed for other white people. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people of color and black folks, like, we've done the work. You know, as intersectional feminists, we've written all the books, we've done the documentaries, we've done the work. It's really up to white people. And if you're, if you're a white woman and you're a feminist, it's up to you to really educate yourself on these issues. Because at the end of the day, you all didn't build this system. Your ancestors built them. How are you going to dismantle that? And that's up to you to do.
0: I love that. And uh, I think that was perfectly put too, because it goes back to being active in dismantling something we might not have created, but we have still been unconsciously contributing to this whole time. And benefiting from. Exactly, exactly. And it's not your job or other women of color, other people of color, like you said, to educate us. You've done it. You've lived it. You let me educate myself to be able to hopefully empower and use my privilege to help someone else. Absolutely. And also, I just want to add this in really try diversifying
1: your friends group. I'm not speaking to Angel personally. I'm saying just in general, (laughs) right? Like we tend to hang out with people who only look like us. And for people of color, for women of color, I understand why a lot of it is self-preservation. If if I am friends with you as a white person, if you're a white person and I'm friends with you, I know, I know you've done the work. Like, I feel safe around you. I don't think you're going to call the cops on me. Like, you know what I mean? I, I trust you. But as a white person, really, you know, learn. Yes, absolutely. Read, watch the documentaries, watch the videos. Be hip to that. But also diversify your friends group. Find trans women. Find queer women. Find Black women, women of color. Find women who are from a you know, different socioeconomic status than you. If you are middle-class or upper middle-class, I have an economics degree. So I bring up class a lot just because by default I've studied Mm -hmm. it. but you know, really try diversifying your friend group,
0: make that effort. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you will only benefit from different perspectives in your life. You are just not going to learn or grow if you stick with the same exact you your whole life.
1: Absolutely. And I understand that some people live in like all white towns and like very white spaces. And that's, that wasn't, that's not by design, right? That was created via white flight. I'm not going to get into white flight in this pod episode, but if you want to learn about it, there's plenty of books out there, but quick summary, once people of color started moving into, you know, urban areas, white people pretty much left and -hmm. went to the suburbs. So you have, you know, a huge populace in the U.S. that's very, very white in certain areas like the suburbs, but you also have the internet. So make virtual friends, Mm -hmm. you know, who are of color, um, travel outside of your town, like, Angel and I grew up in Massachusetts, one of the whitest towns, excuse me, states in the country. But trying to make that effort of finding those folks who can give you firsthand experience
0: and knowledge, like we live this every day, so. Absolutely, and no, I mean, I... It's, it's like so ridiculous. And I mean, I don't even know if I should say this on here, but I'm going to anyway, cause we're human beings. It's mm-hmm. like, I've even noticed that somehow my friend group has gotten less diverse. Like uh, growing up in Massachusetts and the town that I grew up in and like some of the schools that I went to, I feel like I had a lot of diversity not only in race, but class and gender identity and all of that. But like somehow I move out here and I look around and I'm like, you're, you're joking. Like I, like I have a lot of queer friends, but like, we're, we all have very similar backgrounds. We are all white women. Like, it's just, it's frustrating because then, then I'm also like, I want to diversify my friend group. And I mean, I have virtual friends, like you said, but like, I don't also don't want it to be fake. Like, I'm not trying to seek out like (laughs) person to be friends with just because they're my friends. friends.
1: Um, My response to that is, you know, there are seminars, there are workshops talking about race um, that people can go to and that, you know, you can have those conversations Mm -hmm. and make friends there. Like, it's hard and you have to, it goes back to effort. (laughs) Everything goes back to effort. Even me, like, I barely know any trans people. Mm -hmm. We're all pretty much cisgendered in my nuclear friend group. Um, So I have to do the work to seek out trans women because I am an intersectional feminist. And even though I'm not trans, I still want to empathize and get your perspective on things because I have cisgender privilege.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So it's really doing the work and like actively trying to seek out spaces that aren't very white. Like California is a pretty big state. So I'm sure there are neighborhoods where you can go <laughs> in and like, find people somewhere and, and join seminars, join online groups. They have a ton. Now with COVID, it might be a little hard because everyone's like socially distancing, but hopefully mm-hmm. once we as humanity get past this, really try to make that effort. I mean, if you're living in Wyoming, it's hard. I, yes, I understand, true. you know, if you're living in Vermont, like it's hard. Angel and I are from New England, like where we grew up in the inner city you're from the inner city, right? Yeah. I grew up yeah. in Lawrence. Yeah. So we both grew up in the inner city, which was very diverse. So we have that experience growing up, but even now, like I'm in, I'm in my mid twenties and my friend group has stayed, you know, similar, but there's still work that I should do mm-hmm. and anything
0: to be done. No, absolutely. And I think that's true. And also, just a little
1: tidbit here, if once you do make that one Black friend, please do not post something racist on media and say, I am not racist, I have a Black friend.
0: Uh, <laughs> if you are not
1: actively trying to dismantle patriarchy and white supremacy, I don't care how many Black friends you may have, you need to do the work. It does not go back to, I have that Black friend. I don't care how many... POC friends you may have or queer friends you may have. If you are not fighting for the rights of those quote-unquote said friends, then you are actively participating in the systems that oppress them.
0: Uh, Goosebumps, literal goosebumps, because it's so true. I'm sorry, now is not the time to just sit back and think you're doing a good job. Like You have to actively dismantle these societal Creations. And with that, too, I think it's important because we kind of talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and all of this. There are two other super important movements that I know we talked about wanting to discuss, which is the Say Her Name hashtag Say Her Name um, and Black Girl Magic. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were on those. I know they're really important to you as well.
1: Absolutely. So, Say Her Name is a response to police shootings and killings of Black women. One of the, you know, recent cases with Brianna Taylor. I know she's been, you know, she's been trending on media. People have been really posting about this and this was a black woman who lost her life. She was sleeping in her house with her partner. Like she was literally sleeping something we all do. We all need sleep. It was just like something so wild that it happens. And a lot of the times because we live in a patriarchal society, where black men being killed absolutely it's horrific like you know we need to stop that but black women are killed as well mm-hmm. but because we live in patriarchy men get the focus so the hashtag say her name is bringing light and awareness to black women and women of color trans women who have lost their lives to police brutality because so many times as women our lives aren't as valued or aren't as seen aren't seen as important as men
0: yeah I was gonna say I never thought about it like that because I was always like wow it like oh my brain cannot wrap my head around like living the life of a black man right now because that is what's blown up on media of like the most police brutality but in reality it's also very much happening to women of color as well we just don't see it off as often so that I'm glad you pointed that out Absolutely. And again,
1: you know, women in this society, we're oppressed. Like I said in the beginning, we're all, as women, If I don't care if you're cisgendered, if you're trans, you are on a gender level going to face discrimination. It's patriarchy. It's been around technically longer than white supremacy um, because white supremacy True. started via colonization and chattel slavery. Patriarchy goes back even farther than that. So it's a really old system it's been around for thousands of years so our lives when lost aren't we we don't get the same fanfare i don't know if that's the right word but we don't get as much media attention especially if you're a black woman or a woman of color or a trans woman we go missing every day and no one talks about it it is the weirdest it's like it's like living in the matrix or like the twilight zone like it literally happens every single day and no one searches for us. Like trans women go missing, women of color, black women go missing and where are they? Why aren't we trying to find them? You know, we even had a Black Lives Matter activist Toyin Salau. I don't know. that's how sorry. I would
0: pronounce it too,
1: but sorry, sis. rest in peace. I'm sorry if I, you know, mispronounced her name. She was, you know, killed and assaulted. This was a woman who was actively protesting and she was 19. Rihanna Taylor was 26. That's a year older than us. You know, we're, you and I are 25. Like, I can't imagine losing my friend sleeping to a gunshot from a cop who hasn't been arrested, who oh has not God, been God. arrested, which is so crazy. He has not been arrested.
0: It, it actually doesn't make any sense. And I could just, Oh my God. It's
1: so frustrating. It's so incredibly frustrating. And again, it's going back to how are we going to dismantle the system? If you're a white woman, how are you going to fight for your sisters? Or a white woman who's a feminist, excuse me. How are you going to fight for Breonna Taylor? How are you going to fight for Toyin? How are you going to fight for Black trans women who lose their lives? Like, how are you actively trying to bring awareness to this using your platform, using your privilege. How are you going to fight for your sisters? You can't say you're a feminist and not stand up for Breonna Taylor. It just doesn't coincide. Mm -hmm. And black girl magic is a beautiful hashtag. So that was started because, you know, as black women, we do face so much oppression, but within that oppression comes some of the smartest group of women, some of the most college educated group of women, some of the most brilliant minds that you will ever speak to, the Audrey Lords, the Angela Davises, you know, these women who really Gabby the um the gymnast. She won, you know, the gold medal. Oh yeah, yeah. So it really it, it started I believe in 2013 and it's to give a space to women and highlight black women who are out here doing amazing things whether it's winning gold medals writing books who you know are breaking barriers I'm tired it's 2020 we shouldn't be hearing this is the first time a black woman's blah say, blah mm-hmm. like it we shouldn't be hearing that in 2020 come on like
0: it's Absolutely. but
1: black girl magic highlights those accomplishments of women of uh, black women particularly who don't get shouted
0: out and and I think it's so important especially in a time like this where we're seeing so much oppression and violence all over the media that like, no, no, like we also have to celebrate all the amazing things, especially, I'm not going to include men in this one, but especially that women of color uh, and trans women, we have to appreciate the amazing things that they're doing, the powerful things that they're doing. It's not just this oppression and this sadness, which is a part of it. There are amazing things happening right before our eyes that we needed to acknowledge in mainstream media, the way we do all of this violence. Absolutely. And, you know, one way to highlight
1: Black Girl Magic is to watch the movie Hidden Figures. Like, these were Black women in the 60s who, like, worked for NASA. And, like... That's such a badass movie. It is. It is. And it's a great film if you want to watch some Black Girl Magic and and learn about, you know, these women who did their thing. Um, and even I learned the, so I'm thinking about getting LASIK eye surgery. I'm kind of going off a little bit, but I realized that one of the inventors of LASIK eye surgery was a black woman. Like what, what? <laughs> no, like, <laughs> like since when, since ever, you know, it's like, it, it, so these are things that like a lot of the things that we do are probably invented by black women discovered by black women. Um, Talked about by Black women, and so many times, or women of color, you know, and so many times these things go unheard of. You know, like who would have ever known that about LASIK? Like it I, I'm a, yeah. black woman. I'm a Black woman, and I didn't even know that. <laughs>
0: wow! And it really—that's like in Hidden Figures, where like the guy takes responsibility and like acknowledgement for everything that woman did to like Absolutely. whatever the math thing was that she did. I can't explain it well, but like I feel like that happens too. Like I just Fucked up, but I assumed subconsciously a man created LASIK eye surgery. I thought it it was some white male. I thought it was, you know,
1: Bill, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Or (laughs) Chad, you know, whatever. (laughs) But no, it was (laughs) it was uh, this black woman. And I was like, since when? You know, and and but the sad part is is that we shouldn't be surprised. Like, why can't a woman of color create this? Or even not even just a woman of color, just like a woman in general. Like, why is it that we think that medicine or science is only defaulted to men because we live in patriarchy and we're just brought up to think these things and they're so false. And once you start to study and learn, you realize that like, no, that's not really the truth. There's plenty of women in STEM. There's plenty of queer women, of women of color
0: in STEM out here doing great things. Yeah, it's just the narratives that we're told, like, if I start to think about all the history books I've read, I've never even thought about because we were never taught probably now younger kids are but like, I was never told like, just to let you know, this is written probably by a straight white male. Like, you know, I've never thought about it from that perspective, but it totally was.
1: Absolutely. And Unfortunately, I don't know if it's going to, it might change with once uh, we start having children, if that's mm-hmm. something that's in our future, we can teach our children like, Hey, you're going to read some bullshit in school. Here's the actual story. And we, as even not just parents, but like older sisters, cousins, you know, we have to have these conversations with our little girls and our little boys. Mm hmm teach them about intersectional feminism, teach them about, you know, say her name, teach them about white supremacy, not, you know, don't make it so heavy for them at a young age, but make them aware. And that goes back to not just people of color because I'm, I know by default, I'm going to have to have this conversation with my future child. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to explain to my future child how to not get shot and killed by the police. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's just a conversation I'm going to have to have. It is what it is as a white person, as a white woman, you probably won't have that conversation with your child if they are white. But that doesn't mean that you can't teach them about white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Just because your child is probably not gonna get shot and killed by the police, doesn't mean you can't teach them that their black friend isn't, or like their classmate isn't. And having those conversations with the younger generations and the younger kids can help break that cycle.
0: And it just always shocks me um, what you just said about you are going to just inevitably have to tell your potential future child like how to not get shot and how to pretty much be safe all their lives. I remember I was watching um, it was like a vice um, video and they were interviewing a black man who was like sobbing because whatever, I won't even go into the vice thing, but he just said, like, I have to tell my son, like, he has to be safe, like, I can't believe I have to just tell my son all of this stuff that he has to worry about for the rest of his life, and, like, that really, really affects me, and the fact that I'm, like, probably never going to experience that is, like, my heart is just crushed, and I'm, like, can't even believe that You just said it. You were, like, I I mean, I have to. I've accepted it. If I have kids, we're talking about it. Absolutely. It's not something we can escape. It's, and I it goes back, you know,
1: this is not a very comfortable conversation, right? But people of color, women of color, especially we're uncomfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. People forget that. So I'm having a conversation with my white friend and I might say something that's going to make them uncomfortable as a white person that you feeling uncomfortable for that 20 minute conversation is what I feel all the time. I have to
0: feel uncomfortable.
1: Right. And I have to train my brain to not think about it because Mm -hmm. if I'm always thinking about it, it's like anxiety kicks in. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I work for a nonprofit in a pretty up there position and there's not much diversity in my company. And not just as a woman, but as a person of color, I'm like, am I even good enough to be here? Like, these are things I have to talk myself out of all the time. And it goes back to having diversity in the workforce and your friend group. I'm probably going off on a ramble.
0: But no, and it <laughs> means, I'm glad you said that too, because again, it's just like even myself as a woman in higher up positions where my boss has more times than not been a man, and I'm like, do Absolutely. I deserve to be here? But now you have this extra layer, and people have even more extra layers of suppression. Like, yeah, exactly. So
1: as women, and that's why you know, white women. You know, we always talk about the Karen memes and the Beckys and stuff like that. But in reality, white women, you can be the best allies
0: mm-hmm.
1: because you experience gender oppression. Like you just said, you know, being a woman in higher up, you do question yourself regardless of race. Right. Let's just take race out of it for like 0.5 seconds. You do feel like, wow, should I really be here? Because we've been taught that like there can only be that one woman in management. There's only room for one, right? And if there's more than one, then there's something fighting, Right, we're fighting something weird, suspect about (laughs) it. But to add the layer of race or of queerness or of, you know, a disability that you may have, adding that extra layer is what makes it different. But as white women, realizing your gender oppression and using that to be like, oh, wow, I experienced this. I can't even imagine what my sister might feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who's not white mm-hmm. or who's not queer or who's, you know, you know, not able-bodied.
0: Oh, this is such an important conversation. So before we wrap up to, I wanted to touch personally and selfishly um, on one little thing that we had <laughs> talked about prior, which is like, you love tapping into your divine feminine which a lot of people might not even know what that is. Um, But like, I just want to know what that means to you, how you do it, because I want to feel that.
1: (laughs) I think, you know, divine feminine, and everyone has like a slightly different experience and definition with it. For me, it's really tapping into kind of that witchy energy. So we know, obviously, Angel and I are from Mass um, Salem, right? The Salem Witch Mm -hmm. Trials. Women historically have been killed prosecuted for you know practicing herbal medicine or holistic health and to the patriarchy that's seen as like odd or weird and these women are you know crazy and they need to Mm -hmm. get out of society and for me and for a lot of younger women we're realizing that like no like holistic health is important you know being in tune with nature is important. Like, these aren't things that are odd or weird. Inherently, what is the earth called? Mother Nature, mm-hmm. right? She, we look at the earth as feminine energy, as giver of life. And how do we tap into that? It's by being good to nature, spending time outside, which I love to do, um, lighting candles, burning. Incense, like really tapping into a passive energy. I think so many times we are taught that like you have to be stoic, you have to be rational, you can't have emotions. You you know, and these are all very masculine traits. Well, that's because we live in patriarchy, and patriarchy will tell you you have to be this way. But what about the creative? What about the arts? What about nature? These are things that aren't seen in modern society or in patriarchal society, they aren't seen as important. And that's because they're inherently feminine. They're inherently passive. So really reclaiming awesome. that.
0: There there are different energies to different things that we do. There
1: are times you need to be rational, logical, pragmatic, absolutely. But then there are times you need to tap into that feminine, passive, artistic, creative endeavor. And you know, you're in the, are you in the creative field? You are. Or you're trying to tap into that? I
0: would like to tell myself that I am. (laughs) I do creative things. I don't even have a job right now, unfortunately. But yeah, creative field, I would say. I'll just give myself that. Be confident in it. Well, you
1: know how, like, that's something you find joy in. Yeah. But you have males that find joy in that too. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I love tapping into my divine feminine. I work in a very male-dominated company, which is great. I've never really had issues so far in my workplace. And I have to be in my masculine, I have to be very like on and pragmatic. But then when I come home I'm with my family, I'm with my dog, I'm burning incense, I'm writing, I'm reading, These that's my divine feminine.
0: I, I like, that's so much more tangible and it like really, at least for me, hearing that makes it feel like it's something that I can actually tap into. So it's not like this thing that is like ethereal and I have to like, which it I can. I also, I was going to say, I also do meditate. I also do do all of those things, but it, it, it does feel good to be like, wait, I can do the simple things in my day-to-day life. and, and Even self-care.
1: Mm-hmm. Self-care is divine feminine. Putting on that face mask, taking, you know, taking that extra time to like, do something cool with your hair that's good for it. Or like, a clay mask. Like Mm -hmm. that's still, that's something that's passive and you're doing it for yourself and you're in your home and you're in your natural habitat, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And it makes you feel good. That's divine feminine, but we're not taught that, Mm -hmm. right? We're taught something different.
0: You are so good. You should have your own podcast. I, that's not going to happen. Well, maybe. You could. But-
1: you <laughs> I don't like the sound of my own voice. So me neither. For- I never listen <laughs> back. I'm not listening back. Um, so if you guys have any like feedback, absolutely like DM me and like Angel and stuff. And we'll, we'll like respond. But don't think I'm going to sit there and like actively listen to this podcast. And- <laughs> it's so hard. To reiterate what Angel said, we are not experts. There are women that get PhDs in, women and men that get PhDs in intersectional feminism and our scholars and our intellects and professors and are just doing great things and are activists and have founded nonprofits. Angel and I are not that. um, (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunately, maybe one day, who knows, Um, but, I'm a Black woman, so I do have experiences with this. I've read, I wanted to give you guys like a slight book list. Please. Some good reads for, you know, a lot of your audience members. So Anything by Bell Hooks, Ain't I a Woman is a great read. Anything by Audrey Lorde, Sister Outsider, White Negroes by Lauren Michelle Jackson, is also a great read. That one talks about cultural appropriation, which is another mm. probably thought episode that Angel can do seriously. <laughs> but that's a great read if you want to learn about appropriation and how to combat that, and if you know what you can use your privilege for, etc. So, anything by Angela Davis, who is a prison abolitionist, she's also a professor, and she's done great things. Um, also, you know, a great series to watch is mrs america on fx oh yes yes that goes into the history of second wave feminism which started in the 60s and um some podcasts to listen to tea with queen and jay great i'll podcast. link these all too yes she will link those there's great podcasts both black women one of them is a queer black woman and they're out here spitting knowledge and again, they're going to say things if you are a white person that are going to make you uncomfortable. But just know that by being uncomfortable is how you learn, ultimately.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, as a white woman, again, it's like, it's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. We don't have to avoid these conversations our whole lives. Like, we should be uncomfortable as, as human beings. Absolutely. Get that across everybody's brain. Absolutely. And to shout out
1: to our trans sisters make sure you call trans folks by their correct pronouns like i'm it's sad that we have to talk about that i know i go i go by she and her angel i don't what do you go by i go by she and her as well she, yeah so definitely use the correct pronouns people trans people shouldn't feel uncomfortable by you misgendering them and calling them by if you don't know just default the to they
0: mhm if it all fails, just call them by they. And they will appreciate that. I'm glad you brought up the pronouns too, because I think that's super important. And I know older generations have trouble with that.
1: Don't misgender people and use the correct pronouns. It's really not that hard. It's honestly. really not that hard. <laughs> 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 like, that's like the bare minimum of active activism. And also to kind of, I know I don't want to take up too much of your time, Angel, but really quick, if you can't go out and protest for BLM, there's ways to Donate. If you can't donate, there's, you know, things you can list on media. You can write posts, repost things, shout out um, people of color, women of color, businesses, Black-owned female businesses. Really, if you cannot go out, COVID's out here, I understand. I haven't even gone out for my own safety. but I've been donating. I've been, you know, reposting and posting on my media. So there are ways you can get involved right now. Like after listening to this, go on your Instagram and repost some stuff.
0: Absolutely, and I love that too because I was feeling guilty that I wasn't able to be as active as I wanted to be. But I'm like, no, like I can donate right now, or I can share a post, or even, or like I posted on the Cotton in the Middle podcast Instagram um about podcasts led by black women like share just share if you can't do anything spread the word and maybe even teach some of your family members some stuff on facebook i don't know absolutely
1: and you're doing this podcast so people are going to listen and be like oh wow i didn't know this or like you know read a book be be active in a way that you don't have to march necessarily but like doing small little things diversifying your friend group finding you know seminars going and listening to people talk or like watching a documentary, like these are ways that you're learning to dismantle patriarchy, white supremacy, and becoming an intersectional feminist.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. So last question I have for you, um, just to finish it off too, and then you could add anything at the end, but I'd love to ask, What does feminism and intersectional feminism mean to you personally, if you could summarize it all? I know it's hard. (laughs)
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a hard one. I think for me, it means honestly at its core, being a good person Mm -hmm. and really taking the time to learn about everyone's oppression and you know, things that I might not benefit from, excuse me, things that I do benefit from learning, like, how do I combat that? And like, how do I become a better friend to that um, trans woman? How do I become a better ally to that disabled woman or that lower middle class person, how do I become a better fighter for them using the privileges that I do have? It goes back to just being a decent person. Like ultimately- It honestly does. It really is not like- a lot of this is rooted in academia yes and you have to read and and because they're not taught so you have to learn this on your own but ultimately being a good person As i was going to say being a good person and actively dismantling what you benefit from and listen it's hard because once you have privilege you don't want to let it go <laughs> like you don't honestly because it's to your benefit so it's it is very selfless but that's what we, we want to be, we want to take care of ourselves, absolutely, but we don't want something that's not earned, and that's what privilege is. You're getting something that you have not earned. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and we need to be able to be there for each other, too. It's just, like you said, it's just about being a good person and being a good sister and being a good ally and, like, absolutely just showing up and, and actively. The key word to all of this entire podcast episode is like being active in what you do, being active in dismantling everything that we have been taught pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. And it's
1: hard. And you're <laughs> going to be, I say to, you know, some of my white friends um, throughout this whole movement, I'm kind of just talking about this now. A lot of them have messaged me and be like, Am I saying the right thing? Am I like, can you look at my comment and like just make sure? And I'm like, Listen, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to. Everyone, we're we're human beings, right? We make mistakes, things happen. But it's catching those mistakes, reaching out to, you know, your friends, if they have the time, you know, like reaching out to your friends, being respectful of their time, but reaching out to them and being like, hey, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Like angels have to do on this podcast too, because that's something you've had to learn and you're going yeah. to make you're it, it's inevitable I make mistakes but it's having the the intelligence the grace and the kindness to admit you made the mistake and grow from it
0: mm-hmm. that's all I think we're all so scared of we're so scared of not knowing the right thing to say and being wrong or like maybe not coming across the way you want to come across but you know what we we almost need to experience that to know like no, we're, we're all learning. We're all figuring it out. None of us know the exact right thing. Like, let's learn together. And put your ego aside. And if you said something
1: dumb, take the L. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> take the L with, with grace. And, you know, if someone's correcting you, hey, they corrected me. And now I know to not say that again. Now I know to not do that again. And you go on with your merry life. And you continue to speak up and be an activist. We're not perfect. Like I said, we're human beings. So don't be scared. I think a lot of white folks are like, I don't want to offend or like a white woman might be like, it's, you know, it's not my job to speak up for women of color. Well, it is. It is. You are a white woman. You have that privilege. Mm -hmm. Speak up for your sisters. And if your sisters check you and correct you on something, know that we're not coming from a place of hate. Mm -hmm. We're coming from a place of hey, this was offensive or you didn't say this, right? Here's how, here's what it is. Thank <laughs> you.
0: Honestly, thank you so much. I feel like I just, you put things in such a way that like people can really understand it. So like, I'm, I'm so happy you were able to walk us through all of this, even giving us like book tips and talking about podcast tips and just like resources to just benefit ourselves and to learn and to, to actively do things. Cause it's it's one thing to talk the talk and listen to this podcast and agree with what we're saying, but it's another thing to to really put a step forward in the right direction and do something about it. Absolutely. And
1: last little bit, if you are white and you have white folks in your family, friend group speaking wild reckless, please check them. Mm-hmm. That's another way that you're you're not getting the media clout for it, you know, but that's one way that you are being an ally.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Do you have any last things? I don't want to, this is so important. I want to make sure you cover everything you want to cover. I think
1: I'm good for now. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, honestly, this has been amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like we haven't talked since high school pretty much. So this was like the best conversation we could have ever reintroduced our friendship (laughs) to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really angel you have to
1: stop being a stranger i'm gonna go visit callie once all oh. this madness is over and i will have lunch with you um, and your boyfriend who obviously made a great choice because duh
0: I, I to put it all full circle folks listening to this i want you to know because i started with saying that i was made fun of for feminism and now the wonderful man i am with is like, I mean, I think a feminist would be an understatement to say that he is, but so just full circle people, that's growth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So shout out to him and men who are also allies to feminism, shout out to y'all for really going out here and checking your brothers and your homies being like, no, like you should be a feminist, an intersectional feminist. Mm -hmm. And this is
0: why, because men tend to listen to other men. It is what it is. So if you listen to this podcast, men, tell your friends. Yep. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. (laughs) Tell all your guy friends. Tell everyone. (laughs) Oh, man. We have talked up a storm. I love it.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: thank you so, so much. I'm going to press unrecord so I can actually properly say goodbye to you before we hang up. Okay. Um, But thank you so much, Kiara.